It's Coffee Time with Professor Terrence Coffee. Welcome to It's Coffee Time on Spotify, where we talk power, politics, and the criminal justice system. I'm your host, Professor Terrence Coffee, and you can also catch this broadcast on the Social Justice Network broadcast on FetLife Station. Um, I want to thank you for joining me today. Um, it's been a long week. There have been a lot of things going on, uh, which we're going to take the time to unpack. Um, but off rip from an international uh, perspective, as each of you know, that the uh, Russian-Ukrainian crises, um, or should I say war, um, truly has intensified. Um, the Ukrainian uh, President uh, Zelensky has uh, appealed to numerous countries, including the United States and the United Nations for uh, military and humanitarian aid, uh, in which has, there has been a tremendous outpouring uh, from, of support from across the world. Um, additionally, the U.S. has uh, committed to accepting over 100,000 uh, Ukrainians uh, here in America and you know to be quite frankly uh, frank with you I'm very am I think I'm, I'm, I'm more hopeful with this administration as opposed to uh, former President Trump's uh, prior uh, practices on immigration policies uh, here uh, in the United States so that is definitely at the uh, forefront um, and in that same vein as you may also know um, a judge has ruled that the uh, former president uh, can possibly be prosecuted for uh, criminal charges and related to the January 6th insurrection um, and as of now I do know that and as we may know that there are two of his former aides top aides um, that are facing prosecution. So um, as all of this unfolds, uh, and particularly into, in, in regards to the Ukrainian war, um, we're going to kind of keep that focus and the impact of what we're seeing here uh, domestically here in the United States is the increase of uh, high, you know, the gas prices, uh, which as most of you know across the country are just astronomical. Um, that has also led to uh, inflation and a, a lot of other things. So I think that really what this reflects is that global uh, interconnectedness that we think we don't have when it comes to global uh, economics and the economy and how what happens in one part of the world affects what happens uh, in other parts. So uh, we're going to keep a close eye on that as this continues to unfold. Um, I do know that there are peace talks or ceasefire at least um, that's taking place. So we want to uh, continue to follow that closely. I've been watching a lot of the uh, things that have been happening. Uh, actually, the reports on CNN and MSNBC uh, uh, kind of giving us uh, frontline uh, 
uh, view of, of what's taking place. So I'm going to ask you to not only keep our country in prayer, uh, but also the people uh, of Ukraine, um, as well as Americans uh, there in that region, because, you know, one of the things I think that is probably the most dangerous aspect of all of this is the fact that we have U.S. military personnel in that region. And what that means, in my opinion, and it's really uh, been one of the fear factors for uh, military leaders here in the United States, uh, is there some type of mishap that could possibly occur? And what I mean by that, you know, uh, Russia has this, this new uh, uh, ballistic missile that uh, it's been said is very hard to track, uh, to determine uh, navigation. They don't really have a, we, we do not have the technology uh, to have uh, anti-missile uh, technology for this uh, particular type of missile. And I think that what's at the forefront of their minds as well as mine uh, is when we see some type of uh, uh, military actions taking place that goes to the south. And I'm just going to hold that there for a minute because uh, what that could possibly mean for uh, American forces, uh, our current president, uh, and the American people, uh, that could, you know, a, a situation that could actually engage the American people in a war that, you know, we're still wrapping our minds around. Um, hold on, I, you know, I gotta hold, have a drink when I say this, right? Because what we're seeing and what we're, you know, coming to terms with in regards to this Russian-Ukrainian crisis is that as someone shared, the Vladimir uh, uh, Putin has already crossed the red, uh, uh, that invisible line. Let's be clear on that. Um, I think that line was crossed when they initially invaded Ukraine under the guise of a military exercise. Remember how all this began? It was just a military exercise. As the world watched, the Russian forces uh, began to surround Ukraine in pivotal positions. So where I come from, <laughs> we call that playing games. Um, that's one aspect. The civilian and the, the, the loss of life and the casualties in, uh, in the aftermath of this invasion has put the, the, the Russian government and the Russian country in a very uh, interesting uh, position uh, from my perspective that, you know, the conversation now is surrounding war crimes. The conversation now 
uh, is saying even after this hopefully uh, invasion or this war ceases, what actions do we take as a world body in regards to uh, Russia? And there have been talks of, again, uh, uh, of war crimes. There have been talks of pulling uh, Russia from the G7 as well as members of our uh, United Nations. Um, and for me, I kind of think that's all in line. I don't know how you sit back at the table uh, to eat after uh, something of this nature, particularly, particularly in the name of democracy. That's the challenge. And I think that's the challenge that uh, world leaders are even looking at now. So as this continues to play out and it continues to unfold, uh, before the American people and the world, uh, we'll do our best uh, to keep everyone abreast of some of the challenges uh, that it's seeming like we're going to be facing long after this uh, evade, invasion uh, has taken place. So I just want to kind of put that at the forefront of this conversation today uh, in the work that we're going to be doing. Uh, and keeping you abreast of everything um, that's going on. Uh, a little bit closer uh, here in Washington, um, as you all know, uh, the debacle, and I want to call it uh, the debacle, in uh, the confirmation hearing of Judge Kentaja uh, Brown Jackson on the part of Republican uh, senators uh, has gone it, it's just absolutely sad um, and I think that Senator Cory Booker described it as best uh, when he he highlighted uh, this this was something that was beyond uh, the pill and I'm, I'm quoting this verbatim as well as the most outrageous of attacks um, I pause when I, I think of some of the language that has been used in the questioning of Judge Jackson over her professional career, which has nothing to do with her professional career. I think that Senator Booker gave a heartfelt and emotional message that not only resonated uh, with the historical factors in regards to the African-American community, but it also spoke to the civility and moral compass of white uh, America uh, when he shared uh, in that speech in Congress that, and I'll quote this, that you are so much more than your race and gender. You're a Christian. You're a mom. You're an intellect. You have earned this spot. You're worthy. You are a great American. You know, I recently did one of our coffee breaks here on uh, Spotify 
in which I address some of the concerns in regards to Tucker Carlson, the Fox commentator uh, that called for President Joe Biden to uh, uh, have Judge uh, Jackson uh, to reveal her LSAT scores. Um, and it seems as if that the confirmation hearings that are taking place now are a continuation to engage in this brutal attack of um, Judge Jackson's uh, character, her ethnic background, the hard efforts that she has placed uh, in her professional career to be who she is and where she's at today uh, as a United States judge, which, you know, I, I hope that didn't escape uh, Ted Cruz or Tucker Carlson. <clears throat> and I'll leave that there for now. Um, because, you know, in that, that it, one of the things I can, I think that was highlighted and, and that was acknowledged uh, on behalf of Judge Jackson was her grace and, and, and integrity and, 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 and composure and uh, addressing some of the issues and, 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 and topics and, and, and ignorance that was set before her, particularly uh, in regards to uh, Senator Ted Cruz, along with quite a few other, uh, quite a few others, but particularly, I, I point out uh, Ted Cruz uh, because I do know that at some point uh, during his questioning, which was uh, last week, he brought up the, the the idea, the concept of critical race theory uh, based upon Judge Jackson's. Uh, involvement in the school and trying to teach the, and help understand racism for children to, to be able to hopefully um, the idea behind that is to really uh, hopefully uh, uh, encourage and create a better future where the practice of racism which is taught to children which is the point of that to better understand and respect the diversity of who we are as a people and have a clear understanding of all our roles as Americans in our society. However, when you have ignorance on a congressional seat as a part of a confirmation committee mm, that that <laughs> y'all see them laughing right but the laugh isn't just a, a laugh they say sometimes we have to laugh to keep from crying and I and, and I feel that as as we as we as we as a a, a country we as a, a people, we as leaders, 
watch this unfold right before our very eyes, which I think only uh, substantiates and perpetuates that division and trust that we have in our elected officials, that, 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 that minority communities continue to endure even in 2022. And to see this happening at the highest level of something such as our Supreme Court nomination, I'm trying to remember which congressman it uh, 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 shared that never in the history of a congressional committee uh, of this magnitude had this type of engagement taken place. And, you know, again, again, um, it is my hope that through these congressional hearings uh, that we may somehow, as a country, find a semblance of morality and Americanism that speaks to the ideal of who we wish to be and what we, we, we hope to be as a country and denounce what we're seeing that's happening right there in, 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 in Washington, in the capital of these United States of America. I mean, we can talk about the, the January 6th insurrection, but I see a, a insurrection taking place right now in the, in, in the very capital, in, in, in our committee chambers. Challenging. Uh, again, I, the, the progress that I believe that the greater part of America wants to see as a people, as a society, and as a country. So, with that said, um, I, I I do believe that. Uh, Judge Brown Jackson uh, is seemingly on the track for confirmation, uh, but also from that we see we we've shared some beautiful uh, moments uh, of history, uh, particularly uh, in regards to her daughter. There was a, a photograph taken uh, of her daughter her daughter looking at her as she sat there uh, going through this and. The, the, the look of, of I, I guess, being so proud of another individual was just written over her daughter's face, which was so moving um, and so inspiring. As well as, again, uh, Senator Booker's uh, overall uh, uh, analysis and 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 reflection on uh, the senator on, on this uh, congressional hearing I was truly impressed with that and I think there's an, another point that was kind of you know uh, uh, funny and it was 
kind of like one of those moments where we knew. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a particular question that Cruz asked. And uh, Judge Jackson, you could see there was this brief pausing moment. She just looked with kind of tilted her head to the side. You know that look your mama, our mothers used to give us when we have done something or said something real stupid? And they're trying to decide if they want to call us stupid or if they, you know, you, you, that moment. <laughs> you, you know the look. I don't know if you're, I don't got the look. I don't know if you, I know that look. And mm, in that moment to see Judge Jackson address um, Senator Idiot. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Senator Cruz. <laughs> okay, that was my pot shot for the day. <laughs> that was my pot shot for the day. That was my pot shot for the day. So y'all accept me on that, okay? <laughs> y'all accept me for that one. So we'll continue to follow these confirmation hearings uh, and keep you uh, in tune uh, with what's uh, transpiring there um, in that uh, whole process and as well you know as I said um, also to you uh, that it seems as if the she uh, 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 judge uh, Jackson is on the path to confirmation so hopefully we can uh, see what that looks like um, a bit closer to home uh, here in New York State as most of you know there have been uh, protests taking place in Albany um, there are movements that are taking place uh, right here locally in fact um, even at New York University we're setting forth our agenda for the uh, Reimagine Justice Conference, uh, which will be held on April 7th and 8th uh, via email, and I'll be sharing that information with you. I'll be taking part in that as moderating our uh, one of our uh, segments on progressive practices uh, in the meantime, which focuses on uh, 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 pro progressive uh, district attorney's offices from across the country. and. Uh, part of that panel will be uh, uh, Inspector General Lucy Lane, who was uh, once a uh, DA in the Manhattan DA's office uh, and now is the Inspector General here in New York State, as well as Louis uh, Morales, who is now part of the uh, Inside Criminal Justice Program that was started by uh, Lucy uh, in, in her tenure there. Uh, he'll be a part of this conversation as well as Pia Miller from uh, the Virginia Commonwealth. So um, I will keep you abreast of those details. Uh, that information will be made available to you uh, and hopefully you'll have an opportunity uh, to join in on that uh, conversation. It will be a two-day conference uh, which will highlight where we've come from since 2016 to uh, being here and where we're at in 2022 on justice reform throughout 
uh, the country, particularly here uh, in New York State, which, you know, again, uh, brings me back to what I was about to share in regards to some of the um, information that's coming uh, out of Albany in regards to protests that are taking place in opposition to uh, Governor Kathy Hochul's uh, decision to begin to uh, roll back some of the provisions uh, and bail reform here um, in New York State. Um, and like many of you, I myself are uh, questioning some the, this new direction of uh, the governor. Um, as you know, uh, Governor uh, Hochul came into office um, uh, pushing forth a very progressive agenda um, in which, you know, I, I continue to commend her on the position uh, she has taken uh, in regards to um, um, justice reform measures here uh, in New York State, uh, along with the legalization of marijuana, um, as well as criticizing the uh, conditions of Rikers Island, which is another hot topic, uh, which is at the forefront. And I think I shared um, with on, on another broadcast with our friends, I recently had the opportunity to uh, attend the State of the Department of Corrections with our uh, new Commissioner of Corrections here in New York State, uh, Louis uh, Molina. And I need to say to you, um, Mr. I mean, Commissioner Molina also attended our in our first annual Emancipation Day uh, networking event that was hosted at the Tillery uh, Hotel, which was you know uh, a tremendous success. And uh, in that space, he he shared a message of the the vision that he has for uh, Rikers Island in uh, creating uh, a cultural change as well as expanding uh, programs there uh, on behalf of justice-impacted citizens who are uh, detainees in this facility, uh, along with understanding the value of creating a continuum of care, along with uh, empowering and exercising the resources of credible messengers. So um, with that being said, um, I, you know, again, for me, um, a lot of this in regards to the uh, governor's current uh, political position, uh, a lot of people feel this is coming from uh, political pressure. Um, in regards to what some are seeing as an uptick uh, in crime, however, um, I don't, I'm one of those individuals, I don't get too much caught up on the, the media hype around things or the, the idea of, of politicizing um, issues for the sake of political gain. Um, it, that is, that's at that point, that's no longer criminal justice. Um, that's a very different creature in and of itself. Um, so I, you know, it is my hope that the issues surrounding bail reform are not politicized, although it, it is seemingly 
is that way. And I would like to share with our uh, elected officials uh, here in New York City as well as Albany, we have had a host of number of people that have benefited from bail reform and have went on to live productive lives. But somehow we don't hear those stories in the media because what I, I do want to share is that we have thousands upon thousands of people who have benefited from this reform. And the cases that are being highlighted in the media are truly outline or what we like to call outliers those cases do those few those isolated cases do not under any circumstance shape form or fashion equate to the number of people who have benefited from those uh 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 that 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 that, that legislation so it is my hope that if we're going to set forth a conversation surrounding issues related to or topics related to bail reform that it is my hope that we, we we have a very clear picture of how this reform has benefited thousands of returning citizens as well as our community as well as the lives of those individuals who benefited from it. And secondly, I think that is critically, critically, critically important that we understand the historical context in which bail reform was set forth. Because I, I, I you, you know, I, I, I share with people the other, uh, I'm trying to remember where, where it was. Um, last week, I think it was, I attended a, uh, a virtual conversation uh, in which Angela Davis, Dr. Davis, Dr. Angela Davis was sharing. And one of the things that she shared was that somehow in, in, in our space of conversations, surrounding issues related to justice reform that we somehow have historical amnesia that in our efforts you know in in the moment we we, we somehow forget the premises on which certain measures were set forth and for the sake of this conversation, I think it's critically important that we remember it was the discriminatory practices within law enforcement in the uh, uh, policing, arrest, and incarceration, the disproportionate number of arrest, policing, and incarceration of black and brown people in this in, in, in New York City and throughout New York State that led to the passage of the bail reform. It was what led to when we talk about the, 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 the brutal conditions that were taking place at Rikers Island. That led to what we began to see as practices that led to over incarceration of men and women sitting 
the, the greater number of men and women that were sitting there in, you know, in those uh, uh, correctional institutions on some of the most frivolous uh, charges. That we remember it was costing nearly uh, 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 millions of dollars in incarceration of these uh, individuals to New York taxpayers. Let's not forget this. That the outcry of men and women who were sitting in Rikers Island for years for misdemeanor charges, costing the American, the, the, the New York taxpayer more in incarcerating someone with the, who, who could not afford some frivolous bond and would just be recycled through the system. Let's not forget how we got here. And those cases weren't isolated cases. It was, it, it was a continual, it was a, 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 a practice. It was recently we started getting our number down to uh, 4,000 who were incarcerated. 5,000 uh, being detained uh, in, in our local jails. And for the record, I'll clear the air for everyone. This uptick in uh, violent crimes or crime in uh, New York City is not attributed to bail reform. Uh, uh, contrary to what you may see in the media, contrary to what you may hear from some uh, elected officials. It's not the cause of that. In fact, what we've determined is that the number of people that, we, uh, uh, that we're seeing in, in relations to to, to crime that's taking place is still at the same average it was. I think it's at 10% uh, uh, higher somewhere in that number. So to, and and we look at new crime taking uh, place, it, it really has nothing to, to do with bail reform, nothing at all. However, what some individuals will do in order to set forth a political agenda is take those few cases that may involve someone who got who you know who was released or benefit uh, or, or benefited from uh, bail reform and then make their story the story and if that's what anyone refers to as justice, then I think that we have a greater problem to address that has nothing to do with bail reform. But, you know, I, I'll leave that there um, for now. Uh, one of the individuals um, I was super impressed with when this conversation was uh, initially set forth was uh, newly elected DA uh, Alvin Braggs in his office who shared that he would not be 
uh, politically bully. And I think that that position uh, really speaks volumes to the lens that uh, D.A. Braggs is looking through to not, uh, you know, I like to say, let's not mix apples and oranges. And I think that in the quest for uh, political uh, favor, <laughs> if you want to call it that, or whatever that agenda may be for whomever, that we understand if we're going to stand in the vein of justice and what's right, then we have to really, really look at the facts of what they are and not kind of go on this, this political uh, 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 witch hunt. I was want to call it, right? A political witch hunt. I think I'll call it that. I like the way that sounds. So, I'll leave that there for now. So, as this uh, kind of unravels, I saw a report today that over, I think it was close to nine protesters were arrested there uh, in Albany to oppose uh, budgetary hearings in regards to uh, bail reform and what that looks like. And it's truly my hope because, again, um, I think Kathy Hochul, uh, and coming in has done a tremendous job uh, in supporting the issues most relevant to these impacted communities. Let me say that. I think that Lieutenant Brian Benjamin has been a great advocate on behalf of justice reform because I think that their officers were looking at the discriminatory practice without the amnesia and understanding that. And I do hope that the office of our governor will revisit that. And let us not get caught up in the political hoopla. My mama always said we're going to stand for something or fall for anything. And um, I know what that looks and feel like. Um, I'm also hopeful that uh, Mayor Adams would take in consideration the historical context of bail reform again uh, and why it was initially introduced. So I'll stop there for now, particularly with that stuff for now. And uh, I think that uh, I think that on, on a much somewhat of a lighter, but just as important note, um, some of you may laugh at me, but you know, because uh, Professor Coffee, you're bringing us up. Yeah, I'm bringing it up. Um, there was a report that Yay, formerly known as Cayenne West uh, and his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, um, or co-parenting uh, co uh, with one of their children at a soccer game, and I'm not going to say the child's name. You, you know it. I just don't. I just don't. Uh, because it's more of the idea. Because um, I think that what it, in the past week a lot of uh, speculations uh, surrounding uh, 
Kanye West, aka Ye, brought to the forefront a greater conversation for black and brown communities when we start thinking about uh, mental illness or mental hygiene. Um, I think that the uh, that conversation again broached a much more larger systemic conversation surrounding uh, mental health and accessibility to uh, service providers, particularly uh, in black and brown, uh, poor black and brown communities. Let me correct myself on that. Let me correct myself on that one, right? And I think that in real time, uh, that situation gave our communities and the world a glimpse into uh, uh, that conversation on the stigma, the uh, misdiagnosis, uh, underdiagnosed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and conversations, and, and really sparked conversations within black and brown communities on mental health. You know, I've always shared that Due to America's approach to black America in regards to mental health, that there has been this normalization of mental hygiene issues that has been basically internalized by the black community where we don't even see the abnormal well, it's, it's, in a sense, we see the abnormal as normal because it's been so normalized, if you get what I mean. And we're talking about uh, generational issues passed on from one generation to the next. <clears throat> we're talking about the type of trauma that comes uh, from, 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 from being black. We're talking about entire communities. When we think of drug abuse disproportionately impacting, when we think of all these various aspects of substance use disorders and unpacking trauma because for the black community, we, we've kind of been conditioned to just deal with it. And unfortunately, you know, in dealing with it, um, we also find ourselves in a particular situation where the same mentality of just deal with it was also criminalized. This is why within our criminal justice system, 67 reports show that 67% of those individuals that enter our justice system have some form of mental hygiene issue. Did you know that? Did you know that 82% of those individuals who enter our criminal justice system have some form of substance use disorder? 
do you know that during the period of incarceration that the conditions of those individuals are compounded and because of our lack of intervention in these two critical areas that by the time an individual serves their time and about to be released or released those individuals have compounded issues and returning back to society. I was sharing with someone that a lot of the, you know, they go to media reports. When we, we hear about violence taking place in correctional institutions, those are, those are usually episodes that are being misread where, you know, he's resisting arrest or a person is this or they're that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that we now know that 67% of the people that enter our correctional system uh, have some form of mental hygiene issue, that's very indicative of the fact of that those, in, those, those individuals aren't being treated. So what does schizophrenia look like in a correctional institution? What does bipolar look like in a correctional institution? What does depression look like in a correctional institution? What does the list of them, we can go down the list. And if we have correctional officers who are not trained to see that schizophrenia, that bipolarism, that, that, that depression, those anxiety disorders through the lens of a, a mental, through a, through, through a mental health lens. How do you think they're addressing those behaviors? What does that look like to those individuals? I mean, did you really ever stop to really unpack? You know, most people, they like to have these conversations, but they don't like to unpack them. Professor Coffey want to unpack it for you and put it in real time. Because a lot of those correctional officers are people who are trying to maintain a job and do what they're supposed to do. And if they're not trained, now I'm not saying that's for everybody, so don't y'all get that twisted. You know, I done been there too. You know, I know you got some of just, huh? You can be crazy, you can be whatever you wanna be. <laughs> don't get me confused. However, I'm not a blanket person either. See, let me and I see y'all 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 have me going from one topic to the next. Because so let me clear this up. The same way as advocates and individuals on this side are uh, for for the work that we do in reference to justice reform, that we don't want this generalized approach. 
for every individual or group of people. I, I think it's the same way that, because I have some friends who are uh, part of the Department of Corrections, law enforcement, uh, district of, uh, 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 the district attorney's offices from across the country. From across the country. Who are well-meaning. However, if we throw the blanket approach on every individual in office that's working to effectuate change, what are we doing different than the other side? Help me understand. I don't take that approach. Because then I'm saying some of my very friends that I know who are committed to this work in the, in, in the vein of justice, can be castrated to the side, just like when we, we, we talk about the, the issues of, of, of law enforcement, that this blanket approach in dealing with our community. So where's the median? I'll be the median. <laughs> How about that? How about that? I'll be the median for everybody. So, as we see this unfold before our eyes, it is my hope that the research and science that we are determining in, in this work, and this, you know, I'm gonna tell you something, this is why it's always been said, so for y'all, I'm gonna help y'all understand what this means now. When, they, when, when, when the saying goes, that our criminal justice system, and you can ask some of our friends on the other side, our criminal justice system became a dumping ground for the mental health. You de-invest and you, you disinvest, you divest from uh, treatment. What, what, where are these people gonna go? Oh, so we're gonna criminalize their behaviors that we now know is motivated uh, 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 by mental hygiene issues, but we'll continue to criminalize the behavior as opposed to intervention in the behavior. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you so you're not, com you, you're not confused. That's the practice. Just so you'll know. I mean, if we're going to have a conversation, we might as well have a conversation, right? If we're going to have it. So if you want to sign up for the fact that we know that 67% of those individuals have undiagnosed, uh, 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 un uh, undiagnosed mental hygiene issues, 82% have substance use disorder, and we're going to continue to use uh, our law enforcement and our correctional institutions to perpetuate a, 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 a punitive approach, then you tell me where we stand as a society. I mean, let's let's be clear what we're doing. I mean, if we're gonna do it, then let's talk facts. You know, let's not play the games. And and, and, and label everything. Listen.
don't think they're ready for that. Y'all think they're ready, they ain't ready for that. But they're gonna get that anyway, but they're not ready for that. We'll leave that there for now. Also, in the social media, um, as you all probably saw like me, um, the events at the Oscar where uh, Will Smith uh, walked on stage and slapped uh, Chris Rock over, over a joke that was made by uh, made about Smith's uh, wife Jada Pinkett. Um, the issue itself has brought up numerous issues on violence. Some people ask, well, if it was a white person he walked up and slapped, would it have even been a conversation? Um, I think the uh, commentator for ESPN, uh, Stephen Smith, made a point to say that uh, something to the effect about the, he, he has scarred the Oscars and you know, now there's very few times you hear me agree with Charlemagne the God. I promise you there would be very few times. However, Charlemagne the God made an interesting point to say that when he heard Stephen uh, Smith, the ESPN commentator, make that statement about that, you know, it was like you, you, you made us look bad. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 made us look bad in front of who, what is you talking about? I'm paraphrasing it. Charlemagne the God pointed that right out. I can appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about this, y'all. I, I promise you, I'm trying to be nice about this. Uh, I really am. Um, and let me make clear that the actions of Will Smith were absolutely wrong. However, uh, and I don't know if that takes away from me saying that, because I, you know, there's going to be no justification on my part about that. Um, I think that there could have been a better way for Will Smith to address that. I really do. Let me let me say that. Um, I think that for a lot of us, and I think this was the real, real catcher. Uh, was the, the, the idea of, I don't even think it was because of the slap. I think we think because it was Will Smith. Because in my mind, I'm thinking now, if Jesus would have slapped somebody, then it was almost being like a given. Like, all right. What, what, what was so peculiar about Will Smith doing? Did we put Will... Smith in a space. Oh wait, or did Will Smith allow us to put him in a space? There are a lot of few other cases which that doesn't justify anything. I'm just you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know. I wrote a piece a while back called The Golden Coffin. 
in the golden coffin coffin there was an understanding that the very success that I had put me in a space in which I could not be myself and not saying that Will Smith himself is a, a violent person but I think that there's almost this this idea of perfectionism that can build up in a person um, because if we're all human then we're imperfect right there but we put on the image of perfectionism I mean, but you know, the image is on the outside. We don't talk about what's on the inside of this shit that goes on in our lives. That even we question. So that's that. That's that. So, in light of that, in light of the situations, in light of all that has transpired, um, particularly in regards to Will Smith and Chris Rock. I think that th there's going to be a lot to unpack in the future. Not not just solely with that, but uh, some of the concerns and questions that uh, all of us are having as we see uh, things like this. Some people will make light of it. Some people are going to make a joke about it. Some people are going to, you know, you do what you want with it. But I hope when you're doing what you do, you find some type of lesson in that for yourself. And ask yourselves, and we ask ourselves, what does that mean for us as a community? And I mean, and let me say, when I say, I mean just as a whole, because if it's an idea of protecting our black women from foreign, <laughs> uh, what's that thing the United States says from foreign uh, enemies, foreign and domestic it was another post I saw that talked about violence and Will Smith slapping Chris Rock however <laughs> in the same vein it was the same violence perpetuated by the United States and the invasion of Iraq. As a violence. That, you know, you know. You want to call it a spade a spade, let's call it a spade. Ready always for peace, but ready for war. Alright, this has been another episode 